We can be opening to the book of Jonah this morning. Jonah is a book that I've been studying um, off and on since the end of last year, um, doing some personal studies uh, of the minor prophets, and Jonah, of course, one of those has been a book that I've studied. Um, the book provides lots of lessons, lessons I've given in KC, some notes, to, again, that I'll share this morning, but the Lord put some similar thoughts that I've had in the past from the book of Jonah on my heart this morning, and uh, we'll look at Jonah again. Uh, we talked about Hezekiah last week and didn't so much talk about the miracle um, that involved Hezekiah's uh, life in Walk of Faith, and the same will be true for Jonah, not focusing so much on the miracle itself of being in the belly of a fish and vomited onto dry land, but really looking at the change um, that took place in his life because of what the Lord did and, and what he learned. So let's look at Jonah uh, chapter 2, and we'll read verses 3 through 6 to start. In Jonah 2, 3, we read, For you have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Let's pause once more and look to the Lord. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that you teach us through your word, Father, to apply to our life and our walk with you day in and day out, Father. I pray, teach us this morning. I would guess that Jonah is one of the more well-known figures of the Bible to those inside the church and those outside the church. Jonah is an account that um, gets some airplay from time to time in stand-up comedy. Um, it gets uh, mentioned in movies from time to time. It's a lesson that is, is well-known um, outside of the church. And I say that only to emphasize the point that it doesn't matter how Jonah's betrayed outside of the church. What matters is how Jonah's betrayed in the Word of God. And we can learn much from this story, this account of his life. And as I studied and have been studying Jonah, uh, I've, I've felt a weight on my heart of what Jonah must have gone through. Because it's easy to study the book of Jonah. It's easy to do the Sunday school lesson with the storyboards or the flannel graph and talk about Jonah being on a, a ship and tossed into the sea and swallowed by a great fish or a whale, whatever it might have been. It's easy to look at it and just think, oh, that's a story and we can learn about God's redemption through that. But we have to understand that Jonah was a man and he experienced the full spectrum of human emotion he went through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, as we just read about a moment ago. We see joy in his life, and we see a deep sorrow. We see depression in Jonah's life, to the point that he saw death as a better option than life. Now, some of his grief and sorrow certainly was self-inflicted, and some of it was just life, something that just happens to all of us. And as we go through these notes this morning, this is a heavier lesson. It's a weightier type of lesson, and there is hope and joy in this lesson, but there's some weighty things that aren't always comfortable to think about, pleasant to think about, but they are realities that we face, that people we know face, and ultimately we all need to see the Lord in it. As we go through our lesson today, I hope that you'll see how great God is, that you'll reflect on the experiences of your life and how they reflect and, and are similar to Jonah's experience, maybe not being swallowed by a great fish, but certainly those feelings that Jonah felt in his life are nothing that is far from us. Uh, as we, we look to these things that go on in life, uh, the circumstances that we find ourselves in at times, 
that would point, and, and others would say, well, how can there be a God, or, or how can you continue to trust God when these things are happening? I hope that's what we'll see today by the time we're done. Now, again, a very mini brief background of Jonah. I know it's a familiar account, but we remember that Jonah was a prophet, that God spoke to him and said, go and preach to Nineveh, which Jonah didn't want to do. Jonah refused and said they were a wicked people, and he went the other direction. He paid the fare, literally and figuratively. He jumped on a ship to Tarshish, uh, which was the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, where he was instructed to go. While on the ship, a great storm arose. Jonah was eventually tossed overboard as it was determined he was the cause of this storm. And while in the water, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And this is where we pick up in our opening text. All this has happened, and Jonah is in the midst of the fish, in the belly of the fish, if you will. He's been cast into the deep, the heart of the seas, and is surrounded by floods. Jonah felt in his own life that he had been cast out of God's presence in this moment. Jonah's life was threatened. He was swept under the waters and the waves. He was engulfed in seaweed, as we read in verse 5. The roots or the foundations of the mountains in verse 6 were thought to be the depths of the earth under the sea. Jonah saw himself descending into his grave. He further described his despair as the tomb of the sea with no chance of escape back to dry land because he was locked behind the bars of the earth or the whale's teeth, if you will. Now, again... I don't think any of us have ever found ourselves in this exact situation unless you're really good at keeping a secret. So if if you've been swallowed by a fish and survived, you guys have kept an amazing secret from all of us. So we might be able to relate to Jonah in this exact moment. But I'm sure that we've all felt some type of emotion that Jonah experienced here. Have any of us felt surrounded by the floods of life? Feelings, relationships, questioning our self-worth. How we felt like the waves were overtaking us, overwhelmed by just life in some regards, whether it be school, work, or family, engulfed in seaweed, tangled up in confusion and doubt and despair, or in the depths, buried by a mountain where there's no way out and no relief inside. Was Jonah alone in these feelings of doubt, despair, and confusion? Have any of us ever experienced these ourselves? And I won't ask for a show of hands. But I'll gladly raise mine and say, yes, I have felt this way at times, sometimes more of these feelings than others. And as I studied this morning, in preparation for this morning, I asked myself, if this this prophet of God felt these emotions, what does that mean for me, who's certainly not a prophet of God? And how have other godly men and women dealt with these feelings throughout Scripture? So we're going to look at a few of those examples this morning, and we're going to start with Elijah in the book of 1 Kings. So we can turn over to to 1 Kings, and we'll see. We'll just look at a a few. We could look at a lot, but for time's sake, we'll pick a few of of godly examples in Scripture and see how they have dealt with some of these emotions that that life deals us, that that our bodies, our human bodies, the nature, the emotions that we feel. So in 1 Kings 19, in verse 4, we read, But he himself, this is Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness, And came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Drop down to verse 10, that same chapter says, So he said, again, Elijah speaking, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Elijah felt like he was the only one left of God's people. 
He was the only one left that, that loved the Lord, that wanted to serve him, that wanted to go on with him. He felt overwhelmed. He thought he was doing what was best, yet it felt like everything and everyone was against him. He was being mistreated and pursued by enemies, and he came to the point where he felt as if death was the best of the all of the options before him. He wasn't alone in this feeling. Jonah expressed it, we read a moment ago. Elijah was in distress and felt very alone. Again, have we ever experienced these feelings? Let's turn to Job now and see some of the feelings that he expresses in Job, the third chapter. In Job 3, we'll begin in verse 20 and read down through verse 26. Job says, Why is life given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death but it does not come, and search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the one thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Again, Job expresses these feelings of bitterness, these feelings of overwhelming misery. Uh, He says that, There are those who long for death, but it does not come, and they search for it more than hidden treasures. The thing that that Job is also talking about, he, he speaks of sighing and groaning, and he says, The thing that I feared, the thing that I dreaded has come upon me. And again, you can fill in the blank for you in your own life. What, what are the things that we fear or dread in our lives just from a natural standpoint? Certainly the loss of loved ones, broken relationships, broken health, a broken mind. Job goes on to say, I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. Have you ever been uneasy? Have you ever been restless? Has trouble or difficulties just seemed to be the most common of companions to you? In your time. Next, let's look at Jeremiah. We'll turn over to Jeremiah chapter 20. <clears throat> In Jeremiah 20, we'll read verses 7 and 8. Jeremiah 27 says, 20, verse 7 says, O Lord, you induced me, and I am persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Jeremiah had an unpopular message. He was put in an unpopular position. He was in derision. He was being laughed at. He was being mocked. Has anybody ever been there? Again, I think we've all been laughed at. We've all been mocked. It's not a fun place to be. We all have this yearning to be liked, but it's not always going to happen in life, especially when we stand with and stand for the Lord. Another example, we won't turn there for time's sake, but we could think of Peter. Peter, who denied the Lord Three times the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. He failed the Lord. He failed to do what the Lord told him. Can you imagine the weight of that feeling, of that look, when Jesus turned and looked at him? Again, we read these stories and we read these accounts, but I pray that you understand there is real feeling and real emotion to what these people were going through. I'm sure now you're standing or looking there at me standing up here going, what on earth is he here for? (laughs) Did he just come to depress us and tell us how miserable life is on this gloomy, raining day? Like I said, this is a heavier lesson, but it's one that I felt the Lord had me to give today. These are real accounts. These are real experiences. 
These are things and feelings that are real in our lives today, are they not? Again, I won't ask for a show of hands or, or, or get into other people's business. But as I study this out, I, I ask myself, if these godly men experienced this, if they, they had these failures even in their own lives, how do I have a fighting chance to be victorious? I can just try to be strong and do as Peter said, right? He said, well, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and death, and I'm going to draw out my sword and I'm going to fight. And we just read Peter failed miserably. He denied the Lord. He said, I do not know this man. Again, those are strong, strong words. So where does that leave us? It leaves us in the same exact spot as it left them. And we'll circle back to these three by the end of the day. But we have to come to a place where these men had to come to. A full dependence and reliance upon God alone. Realizing that man fails, but God prevails. Daily in need of God's help, care, and loving kindness. Daily in need of God's grace, relying on him and his strength, his power, and his mercy. Jonah, back in our opening text, as we go on in that chapter, he said, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to him. That's the answer. When our soul faints, when we feel depressed, overwhelmed, swallowed, tangled up, we have to remember the Lord. And pray to him. Jonah was in a pit, literally in the belly of a fish, in the valley of the shadow of death, if there ever were one. But what led him there? It was me, 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 or I, I, I. Something happened to Jonah. He had in his mind that his way and his mind and his plan was better and smarter than God's. But in this moment, Jonah remembered, aha, the answer is looking to God. To focus on him and see the good that he wants to do even in the midst of of this despair that he was reading, or feeling, rather. And again, that verse I just read, we could, we could restate it this way. My soul fainted within me, but then I remembered the Lord. And that is a key point to our lesson today, to remember the Lord, to remember there is a but in there. And again, you fans of the Lego movie, you might remember a scene when the lead character Emmett's giving this great speech to all these heroes that are going to come help him. And he's talking much like me up here about all the despair and the things going wrong in the world. And they all leave him alone. And he goes, wait, there's a but. They left before the but. We're not going to leave before the but today. We're going to look at this thought, this conjunction, this word, but. What does it mean? It means except for the fact. So we could think of all hope is lost except for the fact that God is still God. We could look to the ultimate example of Jesus on the cross, crucified. Was not all hope lost? Could you imagine the feelings that his disciples were feeling in that moment? To see the one that they've walked with, gave up, sacrificed for, ministered with, hanging there dead on the cross. But God had a plan. Except for the fact that God is still God. God had a different plan in Jonah's life. He's got a different plan in our lives, and we'll see different plans he had for others in Scripture. God desired to show Jonah to teach Jonah, to help him understand and appreciate what grace really is, what grace does for those who don't deserve it. Jonah thought maybe he deserved it a little more than those in Nineveh, but he came to realize by the end of his life that he was no better. We are all flesh, and we are all worthless outside of knowing the Lord and accepting his grace, accepting his salvation. God would, or excuse me, Jonah would come to see God's sovereign hand behind the sailor's actions, behind those, those ones that threw him overboard, he will come to learn, as you read through the book of Jonah, that those were really a deliverance 
into God's plan. The breakers and the billows, that drowning and entangling that he was feeling and experiencing was actually working for his good. It was in the fish's belly where Jonah found God's deliverance. And again, we don't always expect to find deliverance in places like that. The Hebrew boys, Daniel's friends, didn't necessarily expect to find their deliverance in the midst of a furnace, but that's exactly where they found deliverance. They found another one walking in the midst of the fire with them. There are many of these lessons that we could go through today. Again, we'll just look at these few examples I've mentioned so far. But if you study scripture, you will see this but God phrase used many times in many of his, his saints' lives. Situations where, again, it seems like hope is lost. Despair and doubts are abounding and the end is near. And again, some of these situations are very much the person's own making. We may not have fled to Tarshish in our own lives, but surely there are times we didn't go the way God had for us to go or do the things that God had for us to do. And there's other situations where exactly where God has us, where we know we're where God's supposed to be, and difficulties and floods still seem to find us. But in them all, God is working in the lives of his people. And we see that played out in, in Joseph, another example of this, in Genesis chapter 50. Let's turn over there and just read a couple of verses. And Joseph, you remember, had been sold by his brothers as a slave, first thrown into a pit and was going to be left to die. But they thought, oh, it'd be even better if we don't leave him to die. We can sell him as a slave. So again, with siblings like that, who needs enemies? In Genesis chapter fifty nineteen, we read, Joseph said to them, as the brothers are coming to realize that this Joseph, this one in power and authority, is the one who has their very lives in his hands now. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about as about as it is this day to save many people alive. You meant it evil. You meant it for evil, he's telling his brothers, but God meant it for good. What a lesson we can learn in Joseph's account and these others that we've read about. But again, it points to that fact. There's a but. You meant evil. And man means evil today. And the enemy may prowl around and try to bring about destruction, doubts, and fears in our life. But God will work good. God works good in all things to those who are called, according to his purpose, to those who love God. Joseph says, am I in the place of God? He's saying, I'm not here to judge you in this moment. That will come at some point. Don't be afraid of what you've done to me. I'm exactly where God needed me to be in this moment. Again, what a testimony of faith to understand all the things that he had been through, all the hardships that he had faced, being imprisoned, being accused of false things that he did not do, cast out again. He said, all this happened. I realize now God is working it for good. He put me in this place for this moment to deliver my people. And again, ours may not be something so big and dramatic as being swallowed by a fish or throwing into a pit by our siblings or being second in authority to the king, but we see the result can all be the same. It doesn't have to be big and dramatic in our lives for God to still be God. God works in the big. He works in the little, but through it all, God means good in our lives. His desire is for us to go on with him. I think of Noah on that that ark. He was in that ark for quite a while around a year or so, with just his family and a bunch of animals. Do you think he might have ever felt isolated? Do you think he might have ever wondered, has God forgot about me out here on this ship in the waters with all these animals, my family? 
Again, I've driven for days in the car with my family in our, our little SUV uh, of an ARC. And by the time, you know, three or four days in the car with them, I'm ready to, to get out of the car. And it's, the car's starting to smell like an ARC. Uh, we're out of food. Uh, it's just time to get a little space. Can you imagine being trapped in this ARC with your family, with literally a bunch of animals? We, we love the zoo. We go to the zoo somewhat frequently. The zoo has an odor to it, does it not? I enjoy it, but there's, a, there's an odor to those animals. And you can just imagine being trapped up in this. Again, I imagine Noah had some doubts, some wondering, some questions. We won't turn there, but in Genesis 8, it says, But God remembered Noah. Again, God remembered Noah. He remembered all the living things, the animals with him. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Again, it, we can feel isolated. We can feel alone. We can feel like we just need to get out of the ark. But God remembers. God has us exactly where he has us to be. He has never left us alone. He has never forsaken us. Even if we feel the opposite, we are never alone. And again, I remember that feeling of being alone in my own life. Before I came to know the Lord, I remember what it was truly like to be alone. But for the child of God, we don't have to experience this. The Lord is our helper. He is by our side and walks with us hand in hand through all the ups and downs of life. The Apostle Paul, when he went to Macedonia on one of his missionary journeys, he said, I was afflicted at every turn. There was fighting. There was conflicts. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Again, there's purpose in us assembling together. There's comfort that comes from us being together as God's people. We can be in our own lives, in our work, in our school, in our relationships, and have these conflicts, fears. But God puts us together to bring comfort. And when we can't be together all the time, he has sent the best comforter of all, the Holy Spirit, to be with us and in us. Again, have you ever been in a position where there are conflicts without and fears within, like Paul was? These things can seem dark and gloomy. Stress and weights can build up and seem like they're overwhelming and defeating us. But God remembers us. God never leaves us nor forsakes us. He cares for his people, for his children. Paul needed to be reminded. He needed to be comforted by the coming of his friend Titus. God comforts the downcast. He never abandons us. Child of God, don't forget this. It brings great, great peace. So again, thinking back to Jonah, he said, I've been cast out of your sight, but I will look again to you, to your holy temple. He looked and remembered where his help came from. Psalm 121, one of my favorites says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When we look to ourselves and we look to our ways, it leads us to Tarshish. It leads us away from God. It leads us down a path that isn't where the Lord wants us to be. But when we remember, when we lift up our eyes to him and allow him to lead, to guide, and to direct us, he is our rescue. He is our aid. He is our help. Why would we look anywhere else? David reminded himself, speaking to himself, why are, he said, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Again, I've been there. I'm sure you have. You've been cast down and disquieted and, and not understanding. But David reminded himself, and he said, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Again, if we look to ourselves, we won't find the help that we need. David said, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Peter states it this way. He says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. 
Again, just reading those words, I hope, brings peace and comfort to cast all your cares, all the things that you don't want to carry around. It's like my kids when we're getting ready to pack this afternoon. Cast all the luggage on Dad, and he'll load it into the car. We can cast all of our cares, our doubts, our fears, all the things that we don't want to carry, the baggage we don't want to lug around, we cast on the Lord. What a deal that is for us. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. We simply just give him ours. What seems to be a crushing burden to us that makes us stagger under its weight is but a dust on the scale to the Lord. Again, we think of Peter who just spoke those words, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Do you think Peter knew what that meant? Do we remember what we just read a moment ago, how the Lord looked at him and he wept bitterly and ran out of the Lord's presence? This was reality to Peter. He lived this word. He understood the grace and mercy and forgiveness of the Lord. And he records it in his books and his epistles. We are blessed to be held in his arms. We are blessed when we allow him to lead and work in our lives. So as we kind of bring this full circle, let's go back and see those three that we left in the cave of despair, beginning back in 1 Kings 19. We left Elijah in the wilderness, in the cave, questioning why he was still alive, asking that the Lord would take his life. It's enough, he said. It's enough. Take my life. We see picking up in verse 11 of 1 Kings 19. Then he said, the Lord speaking to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice spoke to him and told him, said, I have greater things for you than to be stuck in this cave, this cave of of self-doubt, of self-pity. Go forth, go on to what I've called you to do. And Elijah does, he goes on. But we've been in this moment in our lives. We've had these doubts and fears, and we've wanted to see the Lord do a great work. Lord, if you are real, just move these mountains, I've heard people say. And that may not be the Lord's plan. It may not be in an earthquake. It may not be in a great wind. Oftentimes, it's simply this still, small voice that speaks peace, that speaks calm, that speaks assurance to our souls. Again, a waiting upon the Lord, a peace and a patience that it takes to understand that even in these dark times, the Lord is doing a work, and sometimes we just need to be still and listen. I'm glad that the Lord didn't answer Elijah's prayer, that he didn't, his prayer request, that he didn't answer it the way that Elijah wanted him to, because through this man, we have learned and seen much in Scripture. We've seen the Lord do a great work in Elijah's life. We must not sit in despair. Instead, we are to have hope renewed while we wait upon the Lord. Even when there are storms, even when there are winds, we can look and rest in him. Over to Job chapter 42 now. You remember we left Job with great sighings and groanings, saying the things that he feared and dreaded had come upon him, that there was no hope and no peace and no quietness in his life. In Job 42 verses 1 through 5, or 1 through 6 rather, we read, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is he who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. 
I have heard you, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job came to a place where he understood that God's counsel is above all. And again, we haven't even scratched the surface of Job's life and the great suffering that he went through, the great loss that he experienced. But he came to a place to understand that the Lord's ways, the understanding of his ways and his purpose are far greater than the acts that he performs. He says, no purpose of yours can be withheld. The Lord has purposed good for us. The Lord has purposed to give us a future and a hope, and nothing and no one can withhold that from God's children. Again, that doesn't always mean pleasant things. That doesn't always mean success as the world measures success. What it means, if we leave the providing of our need and the fixing of our circumstances to God, he will work by his providence, by his power. Jeremiah 20 We left Jeremiah in derision, being mocked, being laughed at, being opposed at every step that he took. In Jeremiah 29, we see the victory for him. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak of his name anymore, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Again, we can look into ourselves and think, oh, it's just not worth it. I just don't want any part of this. But God has a different plan. When we look to him, when we turn to him and we open up his word, it becomes in our heart like a burning fire. Shut up in our bones, something that we cannot hold back because of its goodness, its greatness in our lives. It should be something that we're compelled to share with others. Jeremiah felt like he couldn't go on, like he couldn't speak another word. But God had a different plan. Jeremiah loved the Lord and couldn't help but surrender to him, surrender to his direction, and proclaim his word. A few chapters after this chapter, Jeremiah complains, Now this is the name by which he is called, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu, again, a comforting thought, a comforting word, a comforting scripture. The Lord our righteousness, the one who is right and always does right. This word shouldn't be contained in our hearts. It should pour over into our actions, our reactions, the living of our lives, the sharing of our faith. We think of Elijah who survived a great famine with just a little oil and grain. We can survive whatever we're going through in this life with the word of God hidden in our hearts. Let's turn over to Lamentations now as we close out this morning. Again, these truths are easy to get out of my mouth, to speak and to tell you, but these are sometimes lessons hard to internalize, hard to, to make real in our lives. And, and they're not just necessarily truths to make life enjoyable or, or bearable or tolerable. They don't just make things better at the snap of a finger. But what they do is they give us peace and comfort and hope and strength in the midst of our trials, knowing that God loves us, that God is working for us, that God cares for us. Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 24 Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. This is a passage that brings great comfort to me. I pray that it brings great comfort to you. But let's back up just a couple verses to verse 19, same chapter. Lamentations 3.19 Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Again, then it goes on to that passage we love. But sometimes we don't remember verse 19 and 20 of this great passage that brings us such great comfort. We're reminded that sometimes there is affliction 
There is wandering. There is bitterness. He's saying, my soul remembers this. And when I remember it, it sinks within me. But I recall to mind the Lord and I have hope. And he goes on to utter these sweet, sweet words that I have read time and time again. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Again, I pray that we remember this key, but God. But God is still God, except for the fact that God is still God. God's mercies are new every morning. He makes all things new, and we are not consumed by the weight of this world. His yoke is easy. His burden is life. His grace is great. I hope that we, like these worthies of faith, simply look to the Lord, remember the Lord, reach out to him with our arms of faith, asking him to uphold us and take us onward, upward with him, to strengthen our faith, to turn us to God day in and day out, yielding our will to his as they did, surrendering our lives, humbling ourselves, and allowing him to do the work that only he can do. I pray that we fix our eyes on him who cares for us, the almighty God, and be done with the fretful cares that bear us down and leave our concerns in the hand of our gracious, loving Father.